Okay, let's take our Bibles this morning. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, and we'll just read from verse 1 again as we begin this morning. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. Let's open with a word of prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful day. We thank you, Lord, that we can be together in this place. Thank you that we are able to come free from fear of persecution and spend time worshipping you as a body of believers. I thank you for the opportunity to come around your word now and to consider the wonderful truths contained therein. Well, I pray that this morning you would empower me through the Spirit and give me wisdom and guidance as I speak that it would indeed be your words and your thoughts. Lord, you would teach us through your word this morning, refresh us and bless us, and may we leave singing your praises, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Now last Sunday, of course, we started a new series here in the book of Genesis, again, start at the very beginning, and we looked at verse 1 and verse 2 last week, Sunday morning and Sunday evening, and we saw that in verse 1, um, God created the basic elements of the physical universe, created the space Uh, matter and time universe in which we exist. We saw that heaven there is talking about space, earth is talking about matter, and in the beginning, of course, is referring to the beginning of time. And then in verse 2, last Sunday evening, we saw that uh, when this matter was created, it was at first without form, it was dark, it was motionless, until the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And so the Spirit of God is the one who sets everything in motion. Uh, we talked about the fact that the Spirit of God there is, is bringing, if you like, the gravitational forces into existence um, and setting a compass upon the earth, uh, putting the, the earth into its sphere that it, we now know it today. So at the end of verse 2, we have the earth formed uh, into the sphere we know, the globe, but it's still void. Okay? It's still without life. And these were the very first events of the first day of creation. And so we're still on that first day of creation as we come to verse 3 this morning. But before we continue on and consider the the remaining events of the first day and then, of course, the the following days of creation, I think it's important that we understand that each of these days here is indeed a literal day. It's a literal 24-hour period of time. Now, we mentioned last Sunday that there, there are those who... Uh, hold to what's called the gap theory. And we talked about how they put uh, billions of years between verse 1 and verse 2. Uh, and they do this to accommodate the so-called fossil record of secular science. Um, they, they look at secular science and think we've got to accommodate that, so they try and put it in between verse 1 and verse 2, uh, that somehow the earth was created, it was then destroyed, and in verse 2 it needs to be recreated. Well, there are also those who hold to another position, and that's called the day-age theory. 
And again, this is another effort to harmonise uh, secular science with the Word of God. And so they've proposed that each day here equates to an age, uh, an extended period of time. And by this, what they're trying to do is more or less match the days of creation with the ages of uh, evolution, basically. Okay, evolutionary geology. They're trying to match those days, put evolution, if you like, into the Word of God. And so this theory, like uh, the gap theory, you know, stems from a lack of exegetics, doesn't it? It stems from ignoring the Word of God and we're putting into it something that's not there, uh, trying to accommodate, as I said, secular science. You know, God's Word, if we take it that way, makes out God then to be simply someone who uh, sets the ball rolling for each day. You know, we're, we're diminishing who God is, don't we? Okay, if we take this day-age theory to be true, we diminish who God is. He's simply the one who sets the ball rolling on each day and then evolution takes over. We diminish God from being the, the, the creator and the sustainer of all things, which is what the Word of God teaches. You know, it also, like the gap theory, suggests to us that death existed in the world before Adam sinned. We talked about that last Sunday, but Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 makes it clear that sin led to death. Adam's sin brought death into the world. It is the result of sin. And so to hold to this theory or the gap theory is to contradict the truth of God's word. Death cannot exist before Adam sinned. And so as we'll see this morning, the biblical record is, is very clear. It's very plain. Each day of creation is indeed a literal 24-hour period of time. They're not long, indefinite ages. It's clear from the context of Genesis 1 that it's a literal day. You know, as we come to the Genesis accounts, we don't come to interpret it or to attempt to harmonize it with secular science. We come to simply accept by faith the plain sense of God's word, don't we? We accept it by faith. You know, Genesis 1 declares to us what we couldn't learn any other way, the history of creation. That's why it's there in the Word of God. So we might know these things. So as we move on this morning to verse 3 through to verse 5, we see now the remaining events of this first literal day of creation. We see first of all here this morning the first spoken words of God. The first spoken words words of God. There in verse 3 we read, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. This is the very first time that we have a record of God speaking in the Bible. And God said, let there be light. And there's an immediate reaction here, isn't it? There's an immediate result. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God's word brings forth light. The word of God brings forth light. Now, until this point, darkness was upon the face of the deep. That's what we learned in verse 2, wasn't it? Until this point, everything's in darkness. It's shrouded in darkness. There is no light. But now, as God speaks, light comes into existence, dispelling that darkness. Now, the question has been asked, how could there be light when there's no source of light yet created? You know, the, the sun, the moon, the stars are not created until the fourth day let's just go down and read from verse 14 it says and God said let 
Uh, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good in the evening and the morning were the fourth day. And so God's word makes it very clear that uh, the, the heavenly bodies, the sun, the moon, the stars, were not created until the fourth day. And so what is the source of light here back in verse 3 when God says, let there be light? Well, since we're not told here that this light comes from any source, the source is God himself, isn't it? The source is God himself. And indeed, light is expressive of the very nature of our God. First John chapter 1, let's just quickly turn over there. We're going to turn to a few verses this morning. First John chapter 1. First John 1 and verse 5 says, This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Light is expressive of the very nature of our God. In Psalm 104 and verse 2, we have what seems to be a reference to this light which was created here at the beginning of verse 3. Let's go there, Psalm 104. As I said, we are going to turn to a few verses, so... Bear with me, Psalm 104, and we'll read from verse 1. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord my God, thou art very great, thou art clothed with honour and majesty, who covereth thyself with light as with a garment, who stretchest out the heavens like a curtain. In Psalm 104 here we have a reference to this light, and it says that God uh, is wearing it as a garment. And it seems to be a reference here to the beginning to creation to verse 3 of Genesis chapter 1. Okay, so God wears this light as a garment. And so God is the source of light here at the beginning, just as God will be the source of light in the new Jerusalem. Revelation 22 and verse 5 tells us that, doesn't it? It says there is no sun, there's no need for the sun or moon or stars in the new Jerusalem. Why? Because God himself is the source of light. And so we have no problem then believing and understanding that in Genesis 1, God is the source of light, just like he will be in the New Jerusalem. You know, it's important that God creates light next here, isn't it? Anything about it, we saw last week he created the the space, matter and time universe. He's, He's formed the globe, set things in motion there, and now he creates light. You see, we need light, don't we? We need light for life to exist upon the earth. And and that's what God is doing. God is preparing the earth to be a place where we can dwell, where we, as his special creation, you know, creating his image, can dwell, can live. And so he creates light to give life unto the world, unto this, this earth. Light is one of the first necessities. You know, it's also interesting to note here, before we move on, that it's the word of God that brings light here at the very beginning. It's the word of God that dispels the darkness. And God said, let there be light, and there was light, the word of God. Now you bring that over to the New Testament, and it's 
the Lord Jesus Christ, the Word. He is the light of the world who dispels the darkness of sin, bringing the light of the gospel to our hearts. Let's go and read a few verses. Um, John chapter 1. Verses which I'm sure we know well. John chapter 1. Starting verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And He was life, and the life was the light of men. And the darkness shineth in, sorry, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of that light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. And so here we have Christ, the Word, and he said to be the, the light here, and he said that he came into the world to give light unto men. If we go over to John chapter 8 and verse 12, another verse, in John 8 verse 12 it says, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And so Christ says that he is the light of the world. If we follow him, we will not walk in darkness, but we'll have the light of life. You know, Paul, he made this connection between the the creative act there at the very beginning, where God created light. He made this connection and he saw in that creative act the work of God in the new creature, the new creation. If you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians four and verse six. Second Corinthians four verse six it says, For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so he makes that connection here. Makes the connection with God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. That's creation there at the beginning. And he now makes the connection with Christ who came to give light unto men. To shine in our hearts so we might receive eternal life. So we might see the truth. And that's what Christ came to do, isn't it? Christ came to bring light into this sin-cursed world. And so at the beginning we've got God speaking, the word of God bringing forth light. In the New Testament it's the Lord Jesus, the word of God that brings forth light. Sheds it into our hearts so we might come to the truth. So we've seen that God spoke and he brought light into existence. Secondly, this morning we see now the separation of light and darkness. Let's go back there to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 again, let's read from verse 4. It says, And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. You know, verse 4 there begins, it says, And God saw the light, that it was good. The very first time we see God declare something about his creation is good, and he's speaking about light here. It's a declaration that carries with it great meaning when you consider that from then on, throughout the word of God, what is light always associated with? 
It's always associated with good. Now we noted earlier that Christ is declared to be the light of the world in John 8 verse 14. God is said to be light, 1 John 1 verse 5, which we read before. But light is also associated with the word of God. Psalm 119 verse 105 says, Thy word is a lamp under my feet and a light unto my path. And so light is associated with God's holy word. God's hand of blessing is also associated with light. Proverbs 4 verse 18 says, But the path of the just is as, a, as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. And so light is like God's hand of blessing shining upon us. And then, of course, light is associated with God's people, isn't it? In Ephesians 5 verse 8 we read, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk in as children of the light. And so, you know, we have all these good things associated with light. Light is a picture of these things. Light represents these things. You know, on the other hand, darkness from this point on is associated with what? With Satan, with sin, with wickedness. Ephesians 6 verse 12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So darkness is associated with Satan, it's associated with spiritual wickedness. In John 3 verse 19, it's associated with sin. It says, and this is the condemnation, that light came into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. You know, we can go on and we can look at other passages where darkness is related to death. It's related to spiritual ignorance. It's related to divine judgments. And so the point is, from this point on, these two represent two very different things, don't they? One represents good, the other represents evil. And so it's fitting as we read on then in verse 4, that there is a separation now. It says in verse 4, And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. There's a separation. Light is separated from darkness. These two have nothing in common do they that's why they're such a good representation of good and evil they have nothing in common the two cannot exist in the same place when the light turns on the darkness flees away hence the reason one is associated with goodness with righteousness with god and the other is associated with sin wickedness and satan and so god here in the very first chapter in the first uh, in the verse four here establishes, if you like, this principle of separation. Separation, a principle that's reiterated for us right throughout the Word of God and it's reiterated for us as children of the light in the New Testament. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 with me. 2 Corinthians 6. I just want to read from verse 14. 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 14 says, But... Uh, so be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? Or what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. In the New Testament here, we have this reiterated, this whole idea, this separation 
light and darkness is then applied to us as children of the light. This separation that we are to have from sin and wickedness as believers. Now, we are children of the light and we are to conduct ourselves as such. Yeah, so this principle of separation is put in place right here at the beginning and it's then established right throughout the word of God. This separation of light and darkness. And we see thirdly now that God gives names to light and darkness. Let's go back again to Genesis chapter 1. Verse 5 it says, And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. Now when God divided the light from darkness... In our present passage, God also gave them names. God named them. God very carefully here defines his terms for us so there can be no misunderstanding, doesn't he? You see, the very first time that we see the word day used in the scriptures, God defines that word day for us. And God says that that word refers to what? Light. God God called the light day. So the very first time the word day is used, it's referring to the light period to distinguish it from the darkness which God calls night. So he's given us a definition already, hasn't he, of this word day. And have you made this separation between light and darkness and day and night? The Lord has finished his first work of creation, his first day. And it says at the end of verse 5, and the evening and the morning were the first day. And this same formula is going to be repeated over and over, isn't it? Right throughout the creation account, we're going to see those words again and again. And what that tells us is that each of these days is of the same length. It's of the same length. And God gives us here in this statement a second clear definition of the word day. See, God already called the light day, so he's established that day refers to the light period. But now he also says that one complete day is a complete cycle of day and night, light and darkness. And the new day begins with the morning, with the new light. And this is how the Hebrew word day is used right throughout the Old Testament. It either refers to the whole 24-hour period, the day, which is how we use it often, Or it speaks to the daylight period, the daytime. That's how the word is used. The only other way it's used in the Old Testament is to describe a time when God will accomplish something special. Yeah, there's a special purpose. For instance, the day of the Lord. Now, in Isaiah 2 and other places, it talks about the day of the Lord. And it's talking about a specific, uh, special time of judgment. The day of God's judgment is coming. You know, when it's used in that way, the context always makes it clear that it's not a literal day. The context makes it clear that it's talking about something else. But here in our present passage, the context makes it clear that God's talking about a literal 24-hour day. He's made it clear by saying day is the light period, and then he says the whole day is evening and morning. It's the night and the day together. It's the whole cycle of day and night. You see, the word never means a period or age. Remember in the introduction, I talked about the day-age theory? The word day never means an age. 
That's not what the Hebrew word means. That's not how it's used in the word of God. Indeed, God makes it abundantly clear for us here in verse 5 what he means by the term day. He gives us two definitions, doesn't he? He makes it very clear. He's not speaking about an age. He's not speaking about an extended period of time. Rather, he's speaking about a normal, literal, 24-hour period of time. As we read through the rest of the creation account, we note that at the conclusion of each day's work, these words exist, don't they? The evening and the morning were the first day, the second day, the third day, etc. And so it's clear that each day has a distinct boundary, doesn't it? Each day begins and ends. And there are series. You know, when one ends, the next starts. They're in a series of events. You know, the writer of Genesis, under the inspiration of God, is very clear, isn't he? To make sure that we understand that these are literal days. You know, he's guarding against the very false doctrine that I spoke about in the introduction. Now, God's word guards against that, makes it clear that it's one interpretation here. It's a literal day. There's this cycle here of light and darkness taking place. It doesn't in any way apply or, or um, speak about a geological age, a geological period. So having understood that this is a literal 24-hour day, with day and night periods, with light and darkness, there is an important implication I think we need to take note of here. You notice that there is a cycle here of light and darkness. There's a cycle taking place. For each day to begin, you've got to have a cycle, don't you? There's daylight, then there's nighttime, then there's the new day. There's a cycle. You know, what that means to us is that the earth is rotating now. The earth is now rotating upon its axis. It's now rotating in space where God has put it. And although the sun is not yet created, and so there's no rising and setting of the sun, there is still a rotation taking place so that there are periods of light and periods of darkness upon the earth. Light is on one side, darkness on the other. You know, the sphere as we know it is now set upon its axis in space, experiencing these periods of light and darkness. You know, it's also important to note here that light involves more than just visible light, doesn't it? You know, often we only think about it in the context of visible light, and that is indeed the, the main implication that's brought out here in the Word of God. But light has other forms, doesn't it? We have invisible light spectrum as well. We have the ultraviolet light and other forms of shortwave radiation. And then you have, ultra, sorry, then you have infrared light as well and long-wave radiation. That's all part of the light spectrum. And that's all part of this creation here at the beginning on the first day. And these, in turn, these um, forms of radiation, these, in turn, set the electromagnetic forces in operation, completing the energizing of our physical universe. Uh, Morris, he writes this. He says, All the types of force and energy which interact in the universe, involve only electromagnetic, gravitational and nuclear forces. And all of these have now been activated. Though, not, so, though no doubt oversimplified, this tremendous creative act of the Godhead might be summarized by saying that the nuclear forces maintaining the integrity of matter were activated by the Father when he created the elements of the space-mass-time continuum. The gravitational forces 
were activated by the Spirit when he brought form and motion to the initially static and formless matter. And the electromagnetic forces were activated by the Word when he called light into existence out of darkness. And the point is, God has brought all this into being on the first day, hasn't he? All these forces that are necessary in our universe are now in existence. It's all accomplished on that very first day of creation. The physical universe is created, it's energized, and it's now ready for further shaping. It's now ready for furnishing, so it's ready for man. There's one more thing I want us to quickly look at this morning, and that's the creation of angels. The creation of angels. Now, angels are not mentioned here in Genesis chapter 1. But it is highly probable that they were created here on the first day of creation. You see, sometime prior to the third day, the multitude of angels was already created and in existence. And we know this because of Job chapter 38. So let's turn over there. Job chapter 38. In Job 38, and let's read from verse 4. Job 38, verse 4, it says, Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Verse 7 speaks about the morning stars singing together, the sons of God shouting for joy. And it says that they were there to witness, verse 3, oh sorry, verse 4, the foundations of the earth. They were there. Job wasn't. But the angels were. They witnessed the foundations of the earth. And this seems to be a reference here to the establishment of the land upon the earth, the solid land masses, which take place on the third day of creation. Go back to Genesis chapter 1 quickly. Genesis 1 and verse 9. And God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called he seas, and God saw that it was good. And so it's not till the third day that God brings forth dry land upon the earth. And that seems to be what it's talking about. It says the foundations of the earth in Job 38. And so if they were there to witness the third day, they're created before that, aren't they? It's impossible for the angels to have existed before the creation of our universe because that is the sphere of their operation. They are also called the host of heaven in the word of God, and so they can't have been created before heaven was created. And then there's Psalm 104. Let's just turn there again. Psalm 104, which makes it seemingly very clear they're created between light and between the foundations of the earth. Psalm 104, and we'll finish here this morning. We read verse 2 before. Let's start in verse 2. Psalm 4, verse 2, it says, Who covereth thyself with light, as with the garments, who stretcheth out the heavens like a curtain, who layeth the beams with his chambers in the waters, who maketh the clouds his chariot, who walketh upon the wings of the wind, who maketh his angels spirits, his ministers a flaming fire, who laid the foundations of the earth, that it should not be removed forever. 
You notice that verse 2 talks about light, God being covered, wearing it as a garment. And verse 4 speaks about his angels. And then what happens in verse 5? Who laid the foundations. And so it seems to be very clear that it's between these two events, between light and between the foundations being laid, the angels were created. And the angels are now in existence and they witness the rest of creation. They're there to witness God's power as he brings everything we see around us into existence. They witness man being created. God breathing into Adam, into his nostrils, the breath of life. They're there to witness that event. You know, the first day of creation has truly highlighted to us, or at least I hope it has, the wonderful power of our God. In one literal 24-hour period, God has brought into existence space, matter, and time, the space, matter, time universe. The Spirit has moved upon the face of the deep, setting everything in motion, setting a compass upon the earth. And God has, moved, God has spoken, bringing light into existence, separating that light from darkness, setting the earth rotating upon its axis, so that we now have day and night, and the angels are there now to witness God's creation. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your word this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the wonderful creation account, recording for us your wonderful works there at the beginning. Lord, may we stand in marvel and, Lord, at how great you are, how wonderful and powerful you are, May we rejoice, Lord, in all you've done for us in creating us and putting us in this place. May, Lord, we be motivated to serve you more. Uh, Lord, realizing your great power and your love for us. We thank you for this day now and we pray that you bless as we close in Jesus' name.